that you're here for this Vision Sunday. And uh, in some ways, this is no different than any other Sunday that we have, in that we are here to meet with the Lord, to hear from Him, to praise Him, to uh, be in fellowship with one another. And so in that regard, no different than any other Sunday. But there is a little bit of a difference in the sense of we'll go a little bit longer this morning than usual. We Typically, our services are an hour and 15 minutes, so today will be more like an hour and a half. And that'll be because, yes, I will preach from God's word, but then there'll be a significant part of our time together this morning that I will uh, just speak about where I am sensing the Lord leading us and our leadership team as we've met, our elders, uh, and, and just a vision for 2022 and really beyond. And there will be some things that you hear this morning. In fact, hopefully most of what you hear this morning will not be new. Uh, there'll be a part of you that, as a Christian, you'll say, yeah, of course, that's, that's part of what we've always wanted to be about. But the question on the table is not, is it new, but is, is it, are we living it? Are we experiencing what you're going to hear this morning? And that's where we want to sit. That's the question that we want to ask. And so uh, I want to dive right into it. There's a lot to walk through this morning. And so I want to take you back to October of just this past year, back in the fall. And four times a year, I, I try to get away for a week, uh, once a quarter, just for a study week. It's a time where there's nothing on the calendar except uh, sitting with the Lord, uh, praying, writing, listening, reading. Uh, and I don't want you to think that this is some uh, huge holy moment for me all four times. It's, it's really, it's a grind. There's, there's some times where I'm sitting and listening and hearing nothing. But then there's these little times here and there where I sense the Lord has showed up. And nothing audibly that I hear from the Lord, but as he presses things upon my spirit just to sit with him and to begin to write and consider where he's leading his church. And I've never been one to pick a word for the year. And as we turn over to a new year in my own individual life, I've never done that. Now there's no judgment on those of, of us who do that because I think it's a great thing, but I've just never been one to do it until this year. And as I sat there in October and as I sat there with my pen and, and paper and, and Bible, I, I sensed that the Lord just kept leading me back to this word renewal, renewal. Now, this came in part because I was rereading a book that I've read numerous times before called Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. He wrote it in 1979, but it feels as though he wrote it yesterday. And there's a smaller book that was developed out of that larger book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, called Renewal is a Way of Life. We, we have it in our bookstore. You can order it or, or buy it there. And I would encourage you to do so because a lot of what I'll be sharing along the lines of renewal are captured by Loveless in, in that book. But renewal, renewal, that's what we uh, want to sit in this year. And of course, obviously, not just this year, but beyond. But why do we need renewal? What is it about us that gives us that sense of, yes, we need this. We need to be renewed in our walks with Jesus and our love for him our devotion to him, both individually and corporately. I want to give you four things off the top here that, um, that remind us of why we need renewal. Before I give you these four, though, let me just say this. I want to encourage you to the extent that you can be, be a student of church history. I've mentioned this before. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do as Christians because it gives us broad perspective to what we walk through as a people of God. There are often times that we are tempted to believe that what we are walking through is unique and new. And even in this past year and a half to two years, we can be tempted to think that it's been unprecedented, but, it, but it's not. When you study church history, uh, we begin to realize as we study it, this is nothing new to the church. Many of us are limping. We are really struggling limping into 2022. And understandably so. And in some ways, I'm right there with you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're struggling. We're burned out. We're tired. We're exhausted. We've spent more time at home than we have perhaps at any other time in our life, but yet we don't feel rested. For me personally, what started as COVID won't allow me to go to the gym and exercise now is just a Sheer laziness. 
I haven't worked out and exercised on the regular for a year and a half. And I feel it because we're whole beings, physically, emotionally, spiritually. They, they connect and they, when we're really lacking in one area, it affects the others. And so some of us are in desperate need of renewal. And it's all tied together in that way. And so one of the things is we study church history, not always, but very often, very often, one of the things that God does is he brings renewal on the heels of crisis. When, when God has led his people through something incredibly difficult, he brings renewal on the back end of that. And so one of the petitions that I want us to be making to the Lord this year is, oh God, would you bring renewal? Would you bring it in my life individually? And would you bring it to us corporately? But let me give you four reasons why we need it. Not just because of these past couple of years, but because of our nature, because of who we are. The first one is this. It's because we forget. We forget all that Christ has done for us. We forget the gospel. We forget his grace, his goodness, his love. We sang, we opened this morning singing about the great things God has done. And the interesting thing is we sing those words, but we so, so quickly forget them. When we read through the Old Testament, we have a tendency, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, we have a tendency as Christians to look at Israel and say, oh my goodness, how stupid a people. How could they so quickly forget? But yet, what we begin to see in the New Testament is that the church is the new Israel, and we see ourselves in the fickled hearts of the Israelites. We see it in ourselves how quickly we forget. God, throughout the scriptures, keeps telling his people, those Israelites, he keeps saying, hey, remember, remember how I led you out of slavery in Egypt. Remember how I delivered you through the wilderness. Remember how I led you into the promised land. Remember how I gave you victory over all your enemies. Remember how I have done this and this. Remember, remember, remember why? Because we are a forgetful people. And so for many of us who've walked with Jesus and know him, we find that to be true. We wake up every morning with a tendency to forget the gospel. We wake up every morning back in that place of self-effort, self-condemnation, thinking that we need to make it happen in order for God to love us. We forget. But not only do we forget, we fall. We fall into sin patterns. And these sin patterns for us are discreet, they're sneaky, that we don't even realize that they're happening and we get into rhythms in our lives to where if we can ever take a step back and look at our lives as a whole, we begin to see, oh my goodness, there is a sin pattern in my life that is absolutely not healthy. And sometimes it takes those around us helping us see it. Brothers and sisters in the faith, it can point out to us, hey, this is, I don't know if you see this or not, but this is something that's happening in your life. We fall into sin patterns. And because of that, we need renewal. We falter, third, we falter in our faith. We can be given over to fear and to doubt, really questioning whether if what we believe is true. Is God really who he says he is? Did Jesus really do what the scriptures say he did? And, and, and with that, we can falter in our faith. And because of that, we need renewal. But lastly, and perhaps most importantly for the believer is we fail. We fail to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. We fail to, uh, to live in that reality that is painted for us in the scriptures, that it is not of ourselves, but it is a work of God. It is his work within us to lead us, to strengthen us. So we fail to live in the power of the Spirit. So as we think about renewal, here's a definition for you. Defin a working definition so you kind of know what it is that we're aiming for here. Here's renewal. God's gracious work whereby he awakens his people to a fresh vision of the gospel, thus propelling a spirit-led movement of repentance, prayer, and mission. Don't miss those first few words. It's a gracious work of God. It's his work 
whereby he gives us a fresh vision of the gospel, first and foremost, that then births, motivates this movement of repentance and of prayer and of mission. So if, if a work of renewal is going to happen, then it has to start, it has to be predicated by that work of remembrance, specifically gospel remembrance. Sitting in the finished work of Christ, resting in all that he is for us. Now, uh, in order for us to sit in that for a little time this morning, I want us to go to one of my favorite passages. If you've been around at all, you know that I bring this one up often because it is the passage that I go back to over and over and over again to get a fresh vision of the gospel. Now, what we're about to read is only going to show us uh, a couple of the pillars of the gospel. Now, again, if you've been around, you know that we talk about the five pillar gospel. In fact, you're gonna see a video in a moment where I briefly walk through those five pillars. And that those five pillars start at the very beginning of the Bible with creation and end at the very end of the Bible in Revelation with completion and the return of Christ. But for our study this morning, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter two where Paul begins in what we call the second pillar of the gospel, which is the fall. It's, the, it's, it's sin, it's man's sinful nature and what's true of us. And then we'll see him bring out the pillar of redemption. But reading in chapter two of Ephesians verse one, it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the, like the rest of mankind." So here's the first thing that I want you to get as we, as we think about if renewal is going to happen. If renewal is going to happen, then we must reconsider the depth of our sin. We must reconsider the depths of our sin. Where Paul starts in this passage is reminding us of who we were. If you were in Christ and you believed upon Jesus, this is who you were. This is what you were rescued from. The Bible makes it very clear that if you have not believed upon Christ, this is what's still true of us, of you. And the words are jarring. Paul's words here are jarring and they're not meant to be something that lead us into self-loathing and self-condemnation. And they're not something for us to get bogged down to, to the point to where we glorify the sin nature, but they are meant to grab our attention. Because Paul uses some words here that do absolutely that. They grab our attention. The first one is dead. It says that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. It's very clear for us to understand that the issue that we're facing as human beings is not that God is right and we're wrong. It's not that God is good and that we're bad. The issue is that we are spiritually dead. Completely incapable. What can dead people do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing that, uh, that a dead person can do to suddenly decide or warrant up enough energy to become alive, spiritually dead. And then he goes even further to say that we follow the way of the world. But then he closes with this. He says, and that we follow the prince of the power of the air, which is a fancy way of saying Satan. Because we are born into sin because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we inherit their sinful nature, we are born immediately by nature serving not God, but the evil one in our desires, and in who we are. This is jarring language, so much so that Paul then says, so we are by nature children of wrath. And it's at this point that we go, why did I come to church this morning? This is depressing. But we must, if renewal's going to happen, we cannot be afraid or unwilling to consider the depth of our sin. Again, not so that we wallow in it, but so that verse four jumps off the page at us. 
That verses four through nine ignites something within us because we embrace the reality of verses one through three. If renewal is going to happen, we have to consider the depths of our sin and what we were rescued from. But listen, if renewal is going to happen, then we have to be in marveling wonder at the magnitude of the grace of God. Because watch what verse four says. But God, but God, he's the one. Salvation is of the Lord. He is the one who does the work. Listen to the language. But God, being rich in mercy... And with the great love with which he has loved us, Jimmy just led us in our confession, the assurance of pardon is that there is a God who so loved us that he gave his son, that he came to save us, not condemn us, to not pour out his wrath on us, but to pour his wrath out on Jesus, the only one who ever lived that didn't deserve the the wrath of God. But in his great mercy, with the great love with which he has loved us, he made us alive. Even while we were still dead in the trespasses of our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is undeserved merit. Grace is us getting something that we don't deserve. But not only just that, it's us getting the exact, complete, 180 degree opposite of what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. We are by nature children of wrath. What we get instead is the full pleasure of God, the full acceptance of God, the full righteousness of God, the adoption of God, the full and total love and mercy and grace of God. Why? Not because of us, we were dead, but because of the only one who conquered death, Jesus himself, the one who is alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father, who now indwells every person who's ever believed upon him and now gets to be seated in the heavenlies with him. Listen to what it says next, verse six. And he raised us up, past tense, and he has seated us, past tense, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You go, I'm not seated there, I'm right here. But with God... He's outside of space and time. He sees the finished work. So if he's going to save you, then in his mind, it's done. It's finished. And so in the same way that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, you are seated at the right hand of the Father if you've believed upon him. You will be glorified in his presence. It is finished as he proclaimed from the cross. Why? Why would he do this? Watch verse seven. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this. He saves us so that we can be with him for all the ages, all of eternity. Why? So that we can marvel at the immeasurable riches of his grace. 20,000 years from now, in the glorified presence of the glorious one, Jesus, we will be just as in awe of his grace then as we are in the first day that we walk into heaven. We will mine the depths of the riches of God forever and ever and give him praise and glory and be fully satisfied in him because of Christ in us. And it will be the most amazing, glorious reality that any of us could ever imagine. And it's not because of anything we did or have done or will do. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith. And this is not your own doing. Die to the pride of self-effort and self-salvation and religiosity and submit to the finished work of Jesus and rest. It's not a result of works. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. We boast in one thing, one person, one God. He has done the work. And where does this lead us? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You, believer in Jesus, you are his workmanship. You are his canvas. He has saved you to create in you and through you a glorious work of art. You are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, recreated in Christ Jesus. Created first in the likeness of God, recreated now in the likeness of Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So because of the finished work of Jesus, we get to cease striving to do good works to win God's favor. And we get to rest in the finished work and walk in the good works that he's prepared for us. The freedom to be who we are in Christ, to do what he's called us to do, to be gifted by him in spiritual gifts, to live out not because we're trying to win the love of God, but because Christ has bestowed upon us the love of God through his finished work. If renewal's gonna happen, we have to stare the depth of our sin in his face. We have to marvel at the wondrous magnitude of his grace. And we have to walk in the good works that he's prepared for us in advance as his workmanship. But even still, even still, our propensity, our default is that if we are aiming for renewal, we're gonna try to make it happen. We're gonna just work, we're gonna, go, we're gonna turn to good works. What do I have to do to make this happen? And it becomes an effort of ourselves in, in, in a way, manipulating God to bring about renewal. And so a couple of chapters later, in this same letter that Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he says something profound. And I love it. There's this one verse in chapter five, verse 18, where he says, very simply, but yet again, very profoundly, do not get drunk with wine, for it leads to debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying, look, all of this that God is calling us to, this work of redemption in us and the things that he has prepared for us through us, it's through the power of the Spirit in us. Many of us feel the frustration of seeking to follow God but not being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're failing to appropriate the power of the Spirit. And so we end up frustrated because it's our effort, it's our ability, it's our own strength that we're trying to make God-sized things happen apart from the power of God. Now, I don't know about you, and this is no judgment upon where the people that led me growing up, it's probably me just not listening, but, but I've shared this in membership and I get a lot of head nods. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a context where I only, for whatever reason, heard the first part of that verse, do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. And because that's all I ever heard, I, don't, I, I was terrified of getting drunk. I thought God would strike me dead on the spot. And I didn't know why. I didn't hear the rest of the verse. Yes, it leads to debauchery, but what's the second half of the verse? What is Paul doing? He's saying, but be filled with the Spirit. He's juxtaposing those two things as if to say, in the same way that when you're drunk, alcohol is, is in control, be drunk on the Spirit. The aim is for you not to be in control of your life. It's a matter of what are you allowing to be in control of your life. But he's showing this comparison to say, watch this, don't miss this. When we are drunk with alcohol, what ends up happening? Alcohol leads us, listen, to go places we normally wouldn't go, to do things we normally wouldn't do, to say things we normally wouldn't say, and to risk things we normally wouldn't risk. In all the years of being in ministry, 13 years leading college students who were given to drunkenness. But to the adults that I've led in pastoral ministry, I've never once talked to someone who came to me after doing something in drunkenness and them say to me, I am so glad that being drunk with alcohol led me to that decision. Never once. To say it another way, I've never once had someone say, man, I am so glad that I made that life-changing decision while drunk. Why? Because we go places we normally wouldn't go. We do things we normally wouldn't do. We say things we normally wouldn't say, and we risk things we normally wouldn't risk. And so Paul is saying, well, if that's true of drunkenness and alcohol being in control, imagine what's true if we're controlled, drunk, if you will, on the spirit of God within us. Similarly, we go places we normally wouldn't go. We do things we normally wouldn't do. We say things we normally wouldn't say. We risk things we normally wouldn't risk. But this time, not leading to debauchery, but leading to glory, the glory of God. Not that something that would grieve his heart, but something that would glorify him. Many of you have been places that you never thought you would go because the Spirit led you there. 
Many of you have had conversations that you never thought you were capable of having because the Spirit led you there. Many of you have risked things that you would have never risked, given up businesses to start nonprofits, given up uh, ideas and hopes that you had for your life before you became a Christian, now walking in a way that the people around you think you're crazy, but you're willing to risk things you normally wouldn't risk. Why? Spirit of God. And so if renewal is going to happen, it must be a Spirit of God movement in us and through us us dying to ourselves and depending upon the Lord, this should sound familiar, radically, to radical dependence for him to do what only he can do. Renewal often comes on the heels of crisis. One of the things that is true about the pandemic And it's certainly, I'm gonna use the word blessing. It's not a blessing in the classic sense, but it could be in the sense of this. What if one of the things about the pandemic, one of the blessings of the pandemic was that the whole world experienced it? The whole world has been in this crisis. So what if? What if we begin to ask God for a work of renewal on the heels of that crisis that the whole world would experience? You know, at Perimeter Church, we've always been about this. We've always been about making disciples who make disciples. That God would renew hearts and change hearts and and lead us into a reality where people's minds are renewed, their hearts are transformed and their hands are used to be a blessing of Jesus to the world around us. We've always been centered on the gospel and we will always continue to be that. Take a a look at this video that that fleshes that out. From the very beginning of Perimeter Church, it's been our conviction that discipleship, that is making and training disciples, should be at the very core of who we are. It's the idea that it is our responsibility as a church to make disciples who become mature and equipped followers of Christ, who make disciples who become mature and equipped followers of Christ, and to see that multiplied over and over and over again. We've seen God do this time and time again throughout the history of our church. It really has been who we are. It's not just the DNA of our ministry, but it's also kind of declared uh, in the building itself, at least part of our building, that is the chapel. It it tells the story of this church uh, through its beautiful stained glass window. It reminds us of several things. It reminds us of the incredible history that we come out of as a church. The Christian history of the church is magnificent, and we have embraced that through our history as a church, Uh, particularly in three areas of spiritual development that we see a priority. It's what we call the head, the heart, and the hands. By head, I'm referring to a very strong, rich, biblical theology, the same that our church has embraced through these many years. But then there's more than just the head. We also look at the heart. And the heart represents the passion that the church is to have for for worship and for evangelism, the passion for Jesus himself. And so the heart has to be central. Then we look at the third kite of the window and it has to do with the, the hands. And you see the hands which represent the church's responsibility to show throughout the life of its existence of what we would call justice and mercy and to fight for the needs of the people of this world, regardless who they are, regardless where they are, we're to be available to fight for mercy and justice on their behalf. Why do we do all of this? It's because we have a gospel to give and that gospel is central and primary to every single thing we do in the life of our church. In our window as you leave this beautiful chapel, a great reminder, go ye into the world with all the gospel.
gospel is the good news that Jesus came into our world to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's the story of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it unfolds in five key parts or, or pillars as I like to call them. So the first pillar is creation, which we can sum up with, he made it all. In Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created. If we believe God created everything, then everything he created matters. Most importantly, man and woman, because he created us as the pinnacle of his creation, and we are the ones who bear his image. Not in a physical sense necessarily, so much as a, a likeness to mirror him in the world. And then there's part two, the second pillar, the fall. We lost it all. The good news is that we're made in the image of God, but the bad news is that we chose a path in rejection of that image. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they chose a path against the glory of God, against the design of God, and they chose their own story. We said, I want what I think is good, and I want my own glory. And when that happened, all of creation, not just our own hearts, but all of creation was separated from God and under the tyranny of sin. You see, God is holy. He is perfect. He's sinless. He's unique. He's, he's other than us. And when we sinned against him, he, by his very nature, could no longer be united to us. And it left all of creation broken and fractured as a result of sin. But thanks be to God that the story does not end there. There's a third pillar, which is he did it all. God, God so loved us that he would come to rescue us, to redeem his people back into right relationship with him. As we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the books of the New Testament, we begin to see a story, a picture unfolding of God bringing things back to the way that they were originally designed to be through the work of his son, Jesus. And we see this through his life and his death and ultimately his resurrection from the dead that, that proclaims for us and over us that sin and death no longer have final say and that we are being made new again into his likeness, just like the original design. And then the fourth pillar, restoration, which is we get it all, that through Jesus, he's restoring all things, our hearts first and foremost, our relationship with him, but ultimately with all of creation. He invites us to participate in this restoration work. Everything that we do, what we create, what we make, all of it redeems and has redeeming qualities to restore creation back to its original design. Now we will only experience a piece of that in this life. Little pictures, deposits of it as it were, where we see God making things new again. But things will remain broken in part until that fifth pillar, the final pillar in the story comes, and that's completion, that he's gonna renew it all when Jesus comes again. He came the first time to inaugurate redemption, to begin it, but he's coming back to complete it. The Bible says all of creation is groaning for the day of redemption. And at that point in time, his people who have believed upon him, upon Christ, will be made fully new, not just in part, but fully glorified in him. All things will be made new for the glory of God, just like it was in the beginning, but even better. So this is the good news Jesus has called us to not only believe, but to share with others, to take to the whole world. It renews our minds, transforms our hearts, and compels our hands to build the kingdom of God. And this is who we are as Perimeter Church. It's who we are as the global church. It's who we have always been, and it's who we will continue to be. So you saw it there at the end. You see the stained glass windows and a little bit of a reveal for you of, we wanna see this, this petition that we're making of the Lord represented in, in what we see visually. Uh, so first and foremost, we'll uh, let you know that we're, we're gonna have a new logo uh, that is of our stained glass windows. You'll get a book on your way out when you go to break out into your uh, cities for donuts and coffee and fellowship. Make sure you grab one of these. 
is one of the two resources we, we're, we're gonna be giving you today. It's a walkthrough of just who we are, and it explains in there how we ended up with this new design. I'll show you very briefly here uh, why we ended up with this new design and what it represents. So as you look here at the stained glass windows, you heard Randy refer to the three kites. Those are the upper part of the, of the window there. Those represent what you heard in the video, head, heart, and hands. And where those can join together, uh, at the joints, if you will, of the windows, those are the five places that we would say represent the five pillar gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and completion. The, the bottom three panels of glass are representative of our vision, of holistic transformation, of our purpose of kingdom flourishing, and our mission of spiritual multiplication. And then the circle. The circle is a nod to the old logo that we've had for uh, 25, maybe longer years uh, that represents the unending love of God and the unity of his people. And so you'll begin to see this more and more represented as we ask God to bring renewal into us and through us as a people individually and corporately. As you walk through the building in the coming months and, and uh, even years, you'll begin to see new ways in which we're representing renewal in our physical spaces. You'll see it on our website. We'll be launching in a month or so a new website that as you navigate it and as you work your way through it, you'll have a new experience that, it, that helps people understand who we are. You'll see with our kids' spaces some, some new naming. Uh, kids rock and kids thrive along with kids' quest and some new design with that. There'll be some new spiritual growth spaces that we'll be offering, classes uh, in some ways to where it's both growth and belong, where there's fellowship and teaching. So you'll be hearing more about those. There'll be new additions, new options for our journey curriculum, our discipleship curriculum, ways in which you can supplement into the journey in ways that we haven't done in the past. Or you can do it as it's always been, but there's opportunities as we're asking God to bring renewal. We want you to see that in the ways in which it's represented visually throughout the church and through our, through our body here. A few months ago, I was able to get away uh, with our worship team and sit in and even participate a little bit in a writing session, which was a new experience for me, and I loved it. I loved watching our team do what they do. And, uh, and so as we worked together, some songs came out of that that you'll be hearing more of in the, in the year to come and beyond. Uh, but as we thought about this idea of renewal, this biblical concept of renewal, just asking the Lord, would you do this? Would you, would you create in us a clean heart? This, using the language of Psalm 51, would you create in us a clean heart? And would you renew a right spirit in me? So as we worked and sat with the Lord and began to write, uh, Laura's gonna sing for us now what, uh, what song came out of that. Against you and you only have I sinned In selfishness and pride I've turned to my desires once again Against you and you only have I strayed I've listened to the lies I've left your love and chosen my own way Have mercy, have mercy Do what only you can do Create
Forgive me, forgive me, Christ alone is our defense. Create in me a clean heart, wash me of my sin, Lord, pardon my offense, restore to me the grace. Thank you, Laura. I love that line. My life is forever, forever tethered by your grace. Uh, that is not one of the lines I wrote. That's why it's so good. Um, when we think about renewal, and we say if renewal is going to happen, then typically, as we look at church history, as we look at even the, the scriptures themselves, there are things that need to be in place, not out of performance or religious duty, but out of hearts that overflow with the Spirit of God within them. Not to manipulate God into renewing us individually and corporately, but just simply a part of who we are. And so I wanna to talk to you now about the rhythms of renewal. If we're gonna be radically dependent upon the Lord, then out of that often flows renewal, radical renewal. And so there's rhythms in place in our lives, individually and corporately. And I'll be a broken record here, Go back to 2019 when I first became senior pastor, the first thing we emphasized was radical dependence expressed primarily through prayer. If we're gonna see renewal happen, then we have to be a people deeply rooted in prayer. We have to be. I've heard some of you say, and I don't take offense to this, it's just the way we function. I've heard some, of, some people make remarks that uh, when are we gonna start doing more things? I mean, all you keep talking about is prayer. I wanna remind you of the great quote from Oswald Chambers. That prayer does not fit us for the greater work, prayer is the greater work. When we begin to think that we can move quickly past prayer into things that we can do, we've missed the point. Because prayer is the greater work. It's when we're on our knees before the Lord, either figuratively or literally begging him to do what only he can do. And so with that, we're, we want to start with a rhythm in our church this year. We've done this in the past, it's nothing new, but this year we're gonna do it twice, both starting tomorrow and starting again in the fall. We're gonna do 40 days of prayer. And we'd love for you to jump in that with us. When you go out and get this booklet that has uh, our vision and whatnot in it, you're also gonna get a notebook, a renewal notebook of 40 days of prayer. And these are just ways to help prompt you each day to pray. You'll notice once you open it up, there's not much in there. There's a lot of space for you to journal, but there's some prompts that we have in there, some scripture, a QR code on every page that leads you to a song that accompanies that, week, or that day's theme. And we just simply ask you to do this. If you're not in the habit and the rhythm of praying daily, that that would be your goal. Let's just pray daily. Go before the Lord every day, even if it's just five minutes and pray. But if you are in the habit of praying daily, begin to stretch yourself and trust uh, yourself more into the Lord for things that only he can do. Praying big prayers, saying, God, you, only you can do this, whatever it may be, things that seem impossible to you. There is no way that that marriage can be saved. Pray for it. See what God may do. There's no way that that person can be healed. Pray for it. See what God can do. He may choose to heal. Let's pray for it. There's no way that we can see revival in 2021 the way that we have seen it in, in history past. Why not? Let's pray for it. See what God can do. Part of 40 days of prayer is perhaps God is leading you. We're not calling it 40 days of prayer and fasting, but I would encourage you to fast. Maybe food, yes, but I, I wouldn't encourage anyone to just all of a sudden uh, try to fast for 40 days, that would, be, that would be unwise. That's something you have to plan for for a long time and prepare your body for. 
But maybe it's a weekly one day for six weeks for these 40 days of prayer. For one day each week, I'm gonna fast from food. And each time I feel hungry, I'm gonna use that as a prompt to pray. Another question to ask is this. Seek to identify what is something that is perhaps the biggest obstacle to me experiencing the renewing work of God in my life. And when you've identified that one thing, fast from it. What is the one thing, there may be many, but what is the most prominent thing that is keeping me from experiencing the renewing work of God in my life? For some, as we talk about often, it could be social media. You say for 40 days, I'm just not gonna get on social media. Maybe it's a radio show that you listen to while you're on your commute that you just know is putting thoughts in your mind that ultimately aren't helpful. A podcast. Maybe it's Netflix that you just keep watching movies that you know or shows that you know ultimately is not what you need to be putting into your mind. So you fast from it because it's actually hindering you from experiencing the renewing work of God. For some who are married, You've never prayed with your spouse. This is the time, 40 days of prayer, that you begin every day, pray out loud with your spouse. You would be amazed at what God does in the heart of your spouse when they hear you pray for them. Same with your children, grandchildren. So together, as a church, we're gonna pray. Part of that is every Tuesday night for these six weeks, we're gonna bring back Facebook Live prayer where we gather together online together, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., and we pray together corporately and beseech the Lord to do what only he can do. Another aspect of that is that we're gonna be using quite often, both in our corporate worship, but I would encourage you to use in your own personal daily worship with the Lord this prayer that we've written, this prayer that we're calling a corporate prayer of radical renewal. This is what it says. Father, we come to you confessing that we are a people prone to wonder We are easily distracted, we are easily persuaded, and we are easily given to the empty allure of lesser loves when you are the great lover of our souls. So we ask that by your grace you would renew us. Renew in us a right spirit. Restore unto us the joy of our your salvation. Clean our hearts, O Lord. Renew us that we may walk in radical dependence upon you and in faithful obedience to you. Renew us that we may discover afresh the depths of your love and the magnitude of your mercy. Renew us that we may gladly display the light and love of Jesus to a dark and hate-filled world. Renew us that we may set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. By your grace and for your glory, O Lord, renew us. Another rhythm of renewal is the ways in which we would love to see you take a step of faith into what God is beginning to bring about in movements of renewal in your city. We call it City Impact. And we're beginning to see God do significant, even tremendous things in the nine cities that we currently have City Impact movements. And if you uh, live in one of those nine cities, you'll see them displayed later. We would ask you, if you haven't already, jump into that movement. Primarily and first and foremost, shocker in prayer that we would gather. It's already happening in all those nine cities. We're gathering as people where we live to pray for where we live. Yes, to pray for our own individual needs, but much bigger and more comprehensive than that, praying for all the big things around us that we can't change, but God can. So we're praying for it. Most of us have rightfully thought of City Impact as primarily a vessel through which we bless. We bless the city around us, and for sure it's that, and there are tremendous things happening on that front. Excuse me. Needed to cough. Thank you. All right. But it's also City Impact. The movements in our cities of City Impact is also a place to belong. We've often thought that to belong and to pray, we have to come here to 9500 Medlock Bridge, but we want you to rethink, reimagine how God is gathering us where we live to be missionary agents throughout the course of the week that pray together, do life together, belong together, and become incredible vessels of his mercy together. Lay leadership is a big part of that. If City Impact is gonna thrive, that it must be a result of every member being a minister, of every member, every person in this church realizing that it can't be the staff or the pastors that make this happen. It's us. 
It's what Martin Luther talked about, the priesthood of every believer. And that Richard Loveless, in the book that I was talking about, he talks about that one of the greatest components that's always present in a work of renewal is, yes, prayer, but it's also lay leadership. It's the people of the church saying, let's take the work of the church to where we live and where we work and where we play. Lastly, the rhythm of renewal that you'll start noticing is a renewed commitment to the Sabbath. A laser-focused aim on what God has for us when we are gathered here. One of the greatest blessings that God has given us as a people of God is the corporate gathering. And I wanna be really, really sensitive to the people who still appropriately so for health reasons, need to continue to remain virtual. But thinking about the rest, many of whom have settled into virtual church, may 2022 be the year that we end the splintered body of not gathering together. That we would be here in person, not just so that we can feel good about how many people are gathered together, but because God does a mysterious work in the power of the corporate body gathered, especially when we are together taking, hearing the word of God preached together, but singing together, but taking communion together, participating in the sacraments together, experiencing the enriching presence of Jesus in those mysterious ways. When Paul talked about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, he meant it in two ways. One, yes, first and foremost, vertically to the Lord, but he talked, the the context there is that he's talking about even how we're enriched and encouraged as we hear one another sing. We sing truth over one another. So a renewed commitment to the Sabbath. If I may, let me press in just a little bit more here. And just say this, in all my years of counseling and pastoring individuals, when they come to me and say, I'm struggling spiritually, I need your help. Not in a performance-driven way, not in a condemning way, and not in a way that would push on them more religiosity. I just tend to ask three questions. One, are you in a consistent rhythm of getting in the word, of meeting God in the scriptures? Two, are you in a consistent rhythm of praying? And then three, are you in a consistent rhythm, a weekly rhythm of gathering with his people on Sunday? And far, very often, I hear, no, not really, no, not really, no, not really. And again, as gracious as I can possibly say it, I just say, this is why you're struggling. God has given you means of grace both individually during the week and corporately on the Sabbath. Take advantage of them. Use them. Buck against the culture that makes everything about church convenient and actually move with the current of the kingdom to see God do what only he can do in bringing renewal. How will we know? Oh, one other thing to mention with the commitment to the Sabbath is that for the next six weeks during these 40 days of prayer, uh, we are only going to gather in here in the sanctuary just for six weeks. So there'll be no hangar service, there'll be no chapel service. And the, the heart behind that is just that we're in the same space together, seeking renewal together, and every single week for these next six weeks here together in this room, we're gonna take communion together, believing with all of our hearts that God meets us in mysterious, enriching ways when we participate in that sacrament together, that we would seek renewal in that way. How will we know we're experiencing renewal? When we we experience it, what will it look like? Well, in some ways, I don't know. Spirit of God will lead. But in other ways, as we look at the scriptures and as we As we look at church history again, there are some things that we see consistently. One is repentance. See a whole lot of repentance. People owning sin that has been pent up within them for quite some time. This happens individually and corporately where the people of God begin to confess. This happens within marriages where each spouse begins to function with the mindset that I am the biggest sinner in the marriage. 
and I am the one who needs to repent before you. Reconciliation comes on the heels of repentance, just like renewal does. This looks like people making choices that are incredibly risky, things that don't make sense to the world, but through the Spirit of God, going and doing and saying and risking things that we normally wouldn't go do and say and risk, but we're doing it. Renewal happens when there's actually a collective spirit of humble deference among us rather than prideful preference, that we defer to one another because the spirit of God within us is making us more like Jesus. One of the ways I think that we're gonna start seeing renewal happen in our context today is that we will actually have real life, face-to-face conversations with people that we're disagreeing with. That we will approach them with grace and with dignity, with love and with mercy with care and with compassion, with patience and great humility. If that one thing happened, the church would stand out like a beacon on the hill hill, to a culture that just does not do that anymore. Renewal will begin to happen when we begin to see movements of prayer in our cities. Believing so deeply and desperately that only God can do the work. There are so many stories that I could share with you that just amaze me of how God birthed renewal out of prayer movements. But the one that that I might like the most was really and truly probably the last great prayer movement of, uh, of the church in America. And it happened all the way back in 1857 and it's commonly called the Businessman's Revival. And it happened in 1857 when there were six men who were gathering for prayer in lower Manhattan, just six. They started meeting in September of 1857. In October of 1857, the great financial uh, crisis hit New York and the rest of the country. And thousands of businessmen were out of jobs. And I say businessmen because back then it was almost entirely men. And so all of a sudden there was a crisis And within a matter of months, six people gathered in lower Manhattan became a birth of prayer throughout the nation where thousands upon thousands of businessmen were gathering three times a day for prayer. And God ignited a prayer movement and a movement of revival and renewal among his people. And it started with six men praying. We'll know renewal because marriages will be reconciled. Wayward children will be coming home. Prodigals will be repenting. Older brothers will be repenting of their self-righteousness and their religiosity. We will know revival and renewal because people will be coming to faith. And it's never about numbers here. It's always about healthy growth here. But in some ways, just like in the book of Acts, where Luke is recording the growth of the church, we will see one of the byproducts of renewal being more people gathering in God's spaces on Sunday, not because it's about a religious performance, but because the Spirit of God is moving and saving souls. And so we want to pray and trust that renewal comes and comes in power. But with renewal, don't mistake this, with renewal comes rest. Rest for the weary soul. Don't forget the invitation of Jesus. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where he says, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will, it's a promise. I will give you rest. You will find rest when you come unto Jesus. So at the heart, at the core of renewal, in this prayer movement of God doing what only he can do is exposing our idols and confessing them. The things that we tend to run to that we've become convinced give us what only Jesus can give us. Things like and at the heart of, of, of idolatry is worship, right? It's what we're worshiping. 
So things like this. If we worship politics, we'll always be angry. If we worship beauty, we'll always feel ugly. If we worship moralism, we'll never measure up. If we worship intelligence, we'll always feel ignorant. If we worship all kinds of things that ultimately don't give us what Jesus gives us. If we worship safety, we'll always be fearful. We'll always be anxious. If we worship money, we'll never have enough. The list goes on and on and on, but don't be mistaken. Listen, tune your ears to the better gospel. If you worship Jesus, you will find rest. You will find rest. And in that rest will come renewal. So here's the recap. Here's what I want you walking away with. Remember, as we think about rhythms of renewal, First, why do we need it? We need it because we forget, we fall, we falter, and we fail. But then what are the rhythms? What is it that we wanna be about as a church in 2022? Well, first, 40 days of prayer, both now, starting tomorrow, and in the fall. With that, the Tuesday night gathering of prayer. I wanna pray that prayer of renewal, the corporate prayer of renewal often in our homes, and together here, City Impact, the ways in which we're diving in together to see God birth renewal movements where we live. By the way, let me say this. Uh, if you don't live, if you live in a city where we don't currently have City Impact, we have nine cities right now where it exists, but if you live in one that doesn't have it yet, I want you to know we see you. We, we, we want there to be a City Impact where you live. By the way, I'm in one of those cities. We live in Buford, so I'm with you. I feel left out with you. <laughs> but I would love, in a minute when we break and when, we, and when you have the opportunity to go into the gym and into the fellowship hall to break out with the cities, you're gonna see one category that says greater Atlanta. That's you and me. That's the ones where there's not currently a city impact. It's Buford, that's Lawrenceville, that's, you know, there's a number of them. And so go there and, and realize, hey, this is, this is where I can be a part of birthing a city impact movement where we live. We need you. We want you in that space and in that place. So city impact and a commitment to the Sabbath. So next week and in the weeks to come, gather in here. We'll do communion together. And let's see what God has for us. Father, thank you for... Yeah, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for the renewing work of God in our lives. Thank you that you are the one who does it. Would you indeed give us a fresh vision of the gospel that in turn would ignite movements of repentance and of prayer and of mission. Lord, in short, we genuinely pray, would you do what only you can unto your glory? And we ask it in the powerful and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.